and welcome to the Her Voice podcast. I'm Kamel Caruso, Chief Revenue Officer for HerMD and your host for today. We're a female forward wellness center committed to empowering women through comprehensive health, beauty, and wellness services. Today, I'm joined by our founder, Dr. Somi Javade, and Emily, a patient of ours at HerMD. Emily suffered from sexual pain and is sharing her story with us today. Thank you so much, Emily, for being so brave and talking with us today. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I'm going to open up with this kind of astounding stat that even though I work at HerMD, every time I see it, I'm like, this can't be right, but it is. Up to 75% of women, 75% of women will experience sexual pain at some point. When I first heard about that number, again, I was like, no way, can't be true. Because if it was, surely someone would have told me in all my life of being a woman and going to the gynecologist and being sexually active. Tell us, like, when did you start to experience painful sex? And was it always there for you? Or was this something that happened over time? Unfortunately, painful sex was just always there for me from the very first experience. It was painful. And even prior to that, I'd noticed wearing tampons extremely uncomfortable, if not painful, um, as well as my yearly pelvic exams, pap smears, that was always a really rough experience. So there was just always pain. There was never a time where I did not experience pain. Wow. So as long as you can remember from when basically you started your, your period. Yeah. From when I started my period to when I first became sexually active, pain was always there. And when I became sexually active, I thought, well, if I wait this out, maybe give it a year or so, maybe it will just get better in time, thinking it was something that was wrong with me. And it never did. In the very beginning, I entertained the idea of, okay, well, you know, I'm I'm just now having sex, I need to adjust to this you know, sex can be painful your first time. And like I said, I gave it about a year, but past that year, I thought, no, this isn't normal. I mean, nobody, nobody ever stated that it's abnormal, but I just thought this isn't enjoyable. I am sexually active. I can't hardly wear a tampon. My yearly exams are almost traumatic. Something's not right here and it's not getting better on its own. I want to pick up on something that Emily said, no one tells you, no one says. And just going back to TV right now, I'm watching Firefly Lane. I just watched Bridgerton. I mean, people are tearing off their clothes, having sex, climaxing or orgasming in two minutes, screaming at the top of their lungs. And I love both these shows, but it's like, even if you can't talk to about it with your mom or your girlfriend, you're also getting these crazy messages from mainstream media. These are shows that are happening today, right now. No one's talking about sexual pain or problems with orgasm, right? Everyone's orgasming in two minutes. So there's really no safe place for women to discuss their anatomy, to discuss pleasure, and to discuss sexual problems or sexual dysfunction. And so I hear stories like this all the time, and they break my heart because people are lost and isolated and they don't know where to go. And you bring up such a good point because yes, you, I, I really didn't speak about this with anybody. I, I did mention the pain to my gynecologist at the time, but 
you know, her response would be, well, just try a different birth control. So I did try initiating that conversation with my doctor, but beyond my partner, I'd, I'd never had this conversation with anybody. And like Dr. Gervais just mentioned, you're watching shows, you're observing media, and you just feel broken because you see that and you think, well, I, what's wrong with me? I can't compare to that. I'm in my 20s that you don't think that's supposed to happen in your 20s. You, you Google this and most of your Google results are for menopausal women. <laughs> it's like, where do I fit into all of this? That's what's so important about you coming forward is, you know, so many people think because I specialize in sexual health and menopause that all my sexual health patients are in their 50s or 60s. And I see patients in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s. It's amazing to me, you know, we gave the statistic at the beginning of the hour, the podcast, that it's over 75% of women that at some point have sexual pain and no one's discussing it. And the younger patients, I agree with you. I feel like you struggle even more because when you try to Google or find information, you are directed towards menopausal sites. And definitely menopause is one of the reasons for sexual pain. But there's so many others. And that's why your story is so important, because I hope it helps other women who are younger and who are also struggling and don't know that there are fixes and there are treatments and places they can go to, to get better. You don't really know what sex is supposed to feel like beyond like exactly what we see on TV, like amazing every time. But you're also told like it hurts the first time. So then when you have that pain, you're like, oh, is it just supposed to continue? It's so confusing and no one talks to you about it. How did you feel like going through the experience? How did it affect your life, your relationships? Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah. So as I mentioned alone, I mean, just the isolation from that, especially when you're in your twenties. And at the time I was in my early to mid twenties, I'm 32 right now. And I was probably sexually active, I would say, for probably a good seven or so years before I found Dr. Gervais. So that entire experience was just not pleasant. Um, and, you know, I don't want to say 20, you know, your 20s is the prime of your life. I'm liking my 30s much better. But when you're in your 20s, you do kind of have that mindset that you are in the prime of your life. And when you feel broken like that, it really messes with your, your, your sense of self-worth, how you perceive yourself. I did not feel like a mature woman in my 20s. I didn't even feel like a teenager because teenagers normally don't have problems with that. So it, it really warps your mind and you do, you do feel crazy and you're watching everybody else around you, the, the, you know, all of the media. And it's, it's funny because I feel like women get portrayed one of two ways on the media, either you know, the, the steamy, sexy scenes where everything happens in five minutes and it's amazing, or you're that grumpy old housewife who's just tired and stressed and cranky and you just don't want to have sex and it's all in your head. And so I'm, I identified more with the grumpy old housewife in my 20s. So it's just, it's not, it's, it was an awful experience. My, you know, my partner was very supportive, but how could that not cause strain on your relationship we've been together going on 15 years now so yeah high school sweetheart so I mean he was so patient but that's 
especially, I mean, that's just not normal in a relationship. So it caused stress between us as well. And there are numerous studies that show that sexual problems uh, permeate through the rest of all of our healthcare. I always say it's a barometer for what's going on everywhere else, but it does affect our self-esteem, our confidence, our relationship, and even our vital signs, our resting blood pressure and heart rate are lower when we're sexually active. Our pelvic floor is healthier when we're having sex. And so when we're not, it affects our emotional health, our physical health, our social health, like our relationships with friends. And a lot of times people, like you said, you feel alienated not only from your partner, but from your friends. Because if they're talking about their sexual escapades and their encounters, and you're like, Uh, I'm not having sex or I'm having problems, you feel like the odd man out. So it's really, really tough. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and absolutely. And in my case, not only was I having pain with sex, but I also, as I progressed through my 20s, my libido just kept diminishing, which was likely thanks to the birth control that I was on. So I was dealing with two problems and it's, you know, like, which problem do I try to fix first? Can I even fix this? You mentioned you had a supportive partner, which is great. And so you were able to talk with your partner. You did mention also, you know, your initial GYN said, maybe it's the birth control that's causing the pain. Were you able to talk with your friends or family about, you know, not feeling like this was normal? To be honest, I... I chose not to. I definitely could have spoken to my family or my friends. It would have been well received. I tend to be a more private person, but then that piece aside, it was just really embarrassing. I just felt very abnormal. And how how would I approach the topic of, hey, I'm 24 years old and sex hurts. Does it hurt for you? And it should be that simple. It really should, but I couldn't bring myself to mention that just because I I just felt crazy. I thought, well, it's something in my mind. It's nothing physical. It's my problem to fix, especially after, you know, I had already mentioned this to my gynecologist every year, every year I would mention sex hurts. I don't have much of a libido and nothing was offered. So I thought nothing can be done. I just have to live with this. That makes me so angry and it frustrates me so much. But, you know, I was trained as an OBGYN and at a major program and asked me about my sexual health training. It was about reproduction, contraception, nothing about pleasure or pain or arousal or orgasm, nothing about sexual problems. And less than 30% of OBGYNs are trained. And then we have the problem of 15-minute appointments. How can you even start to get a patient comfortable to discuss the most personal and private details of their life, and especially if they've been dismissed before. And Mani, you've heard me say this, I talk about invisible patients. And, you know, if Emily wasn't brave enough or persistent enough, I mean, look at how many times she said year after year she was dismissed. And so I feel like these patients, you know, and women, we become invisible and we're just dismissed. And I, I feel like that's, you know, some of the biggest barriers are lack of education for physicians. That's why I teach doctors and, you know, this recurrent dismissal, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. It it wasn't addressed. And, you know, I, I am more private in the sense I didn't talk about this with my personal relationships, but in a doctor context, I'm not shy at all. So I was ready to talk to whatever. And 
the most it was acknowledged was just, oh, well, we can try switching birth controls. Uh, and they could, they could see that I was in physical pain during the exams. And, you know, they tried to make it as quick as possible, but that was it. There was never any conversation as to why does this hurt her so much? And this you know, was no longer my first exam. The nerves were no longer there. And most physicians I know are kind people. They go into medicine to truly make a difference. So I don't think they're purposefully alienating women. It's they haven't received the training. And so we not only have to educate patients and teach them about their anatomy and teach them about what's causing their pain or their low libido, also offer them treatment options, but we have to teach our peers. And my biggest thing is teaching the next generation of physicians and providers so that we break this cycle of dismissing women and having them be uh, invisible patients and getting rid of the stigma. If we can take control over a lot of the barriers... We can make it easier for women, and then we won't have to struggle. I mean, Emily, you faced a seven-year delay. The, there's a statistic out there that some women, it's eight and a half years um, till diagnosis, and sometimes it's endometriosis. You know, there's a lot of things that there's a delay for in diagnosis, and it's because either providers don't understand their condition, they don't listen, women are too embarrassed to come forward, there's not enough clinical research, there's not enough funding, um, there's not enough women in leadership positions. I mean, I can go on and on and on as to why the current state of medical affairs are the way that they are, or our, our current insurance system that, I mean, my old job, I saw 50 patients a day. There was no way I was going to figure you out, Emily, in that in that model. It was broken. I didn't have time to take care of myself, let alone take care of, of patients in that model. It doesn't and work. Was, and that was the model that, that I was visiting. My gynecologist was the kindest lady. I liked her so much. But she, one, I mean, I knew then she didn't have the time. But what I didn't know then is that she likely didn't have the training, like what you just talked about. And so tell us about your journey and like finding a GYN saying, you know, enough is enough. I really need to get care. To be honest, I, it was almost luck. I, I, I felt like I had reached that threshold where enough is enough, but I really, I really didn't know where to turn to because, you know, like I said, when you, you Google this, you get referred to, you know, menopause specialists and things of that nature. So I, I felt like I was out of luck. And one evening I was, I think I was on my computer getting work done and I had local 12 news on in the background and they did a health segment with Dr. Javade where she was talking about, you know, painful intercourse, loss of libido and how she treats that in women of all ages. I thought, oh my gosh, are you serious? This is exactly what I need. So I, I watched that segment. I took down her information, I called, and within a month, um, less than honestly, I, there was a bit of a delay on my end in calling, but I was able to get in and see Dr. Javade, and just like that, everything changed, and if it weren't for me watching Local 12 that night, I would still probably be with my same gynecologist. The power of media. Right? Yes. <laughs> yeah. It's interesting. A lot of people found me um, by those from those health segments that we did, but I felt when I was approached that it was so important to get the news out there and let people know that sexual health is real medicine, that there are real problems that women struggle with. And I wanted to make sure that the message was out there that 
you know, it's not selective about age. Women of any age can struggle with sexual dysfunction. And I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, letting women know that they have options, giving them a name to the disorders that they may be struggling with, letting them know it's not permanent, that they deserve better, um, that there are providers who are trained and who can listen, um, and then giving them choices about the treatment options that they want to undergo, you know, and what's covered with their insurance and, And so that was very important to me. So I'm glad that you found me that way. I didn't even know that. You know, talking about sexual pain and why it can occur. So yes, we talked about menopause for sure, genitourinary syndrome of menopause. And I like to talk about sexual pain. You know, it can happen in three areas. It can be one of three. It can be all three. You know, so there can be pain upon insertion or the outside. And that can be caused by hormonal changes. It can be caused by nerve problems, anatomic changes. Some people have imperforate hymen. There's dermatologic conditions. There's lack of hormone caused by, you know, things like birth control, involuntary contractions of the muscles, vaginismus, pain in the vagina also can be caused by anatomic changes, hormonal changes. And then we also talk about deep sexual pain or dyspareunia that can happen from fibroids or cysts or tumors or endometriosis. And and that's why an exam and a history and reviewing your medications are so important with a provider because then we can order appropriate lab tests. Um, We can do a colposcopy or a vulvoscopy in our office where we look at the anatomy and we can show patients imaging if we have to, you know, an ultrasound, especially if the pain is deep. And so there are a multitude of reasons that women can struggle with sexual pain. And I think that's why the stat is so high because there are so many different reasons that women can struggle. Thank you for walking through those doctor debates. So Emily, when you did get your diagnosis and treatment plan, what did that feel like after so many years? There were two parts to it. It it felt almost too good to be true at the very beginning. Um, I I was so excited to find Dr. Javade, and I was shocked that my very first appointment with her, I walked away with a diagnosis. I just was not anticipating that after dealing with this. For so long, I walked away with the diagnosis. You had blood work drawn up that day. You sent me home with a folder full of literature. I've never walked away with literature like that from a doctor's appointment. You sent me home with samples of medicine that I could use to treat this. You had treatment plans of different varieties based on what worked best for my preferences, for my insurance. So, I mean, I was so hopeful. I still in the back of my mind, I thought this is too good to be true. She's not going to be able to treat me because this is just what I'd been used to. And you were able to treat me. You you fixed it. It was just, it was a night and day difference. It's hard to put into words what that feels like after, you know, over half a decade of dealing with this type of an issue to just have it fixed. You're not allowed to make me cry. And you have both of us crying. This is how, so I have to make a joke. This is how, number one, I stole her and got her to come work for me by pulling on her heartstrings. And the second thing, Emily, thank you for saying that because Comel is the organized one and she's very visual and she has been on me about how messy those folders are. Thank you for making that joke. I was grateful for that folder. I think I still have it. So. You sold me on that folder, Emily. Let me tell you. Like, 
Kamal is digitizing everything and so making it neater. And I was like, no, patients appreciate that. They go home, they can consume it. It's something I'm providing that is not folklore or, you know, people just saying their bad experiences. It's, it's everything's been vetted by me. It is disorganized, Kamal, but I had to make that joke. <laughs> I'm glad, Emily, you like the folder. <laughs> it's, a, it's a nice, it's a physical token you can walk away with that lets you know there's hope, there's options. That is very good. That is like the best ringing endorsement I've heard for the, <laughs> totally sold me. We're not getting rid of them. So what is your life like now? Like I said, it's night and day difference, you know, because ultimately the treatment that I, I chose with you, Dr. Gervais, was to do the internal laser treatments because I thought you know, that's going to give me the quickest results. And it, it truly did. And after the first laser treatment, sex barely hurt. There was, you know, a little little bit of pain left, which you addressed and you treated at follow-up visits. So sex is no longer painful. I can wear tampons, which is like a luxury, sadly. And I also have my libido back. You know, before I saw Dr. Javed, I could go months without wanting sex and was fine with it. I would have gone longer except for my partner. And even then, months that's not healthy that's that's not for for me that was not normal mm-hmm. and you know i used to be relieved when i would get my period because that was a week where for us there was zero expectation of sex and it was like a break and i didn't have to worry about it and now post treatment so i i get my yearly maintenance laser treatment i just had it last month with you, Dr. Javed, and I, we have sex at least once a week. If it's more than, more than a week, it feels like we've gone without. And considering we've been together for 16 years, mm-hmm. I consider that pretty good and it's enjoyable. No, that's amazing. Um, I, you know, knowing where you came to me from and where you are now, um, it is such a success story and why it's, it's why I fight so hard to do clinical research trials so that insurance companies and the FDA can't say that this stuff is experimental. You know, because the laser treatment you had is the one that got the bad name for being called vaginal rejuvenation. And you remember when I told you I hate that because it dismisses what it really does, which is it treats sexual pain. And for some patients, it treats incontinence. And, And the way the laser works is, you know, it causes a very purposeful controlled injury um, to the vaginal tissue, which is has already been injured at that point because obviously it's hurting. And then it causes the body to lay down new collagen, elastin, and blood flow. And so the tissue becomes thicker and, you know, more pleasurable rather than being thin and, and, you know, pulling and tearing and burning upon penetration. And so I love doing lasers because, you know, how long was your treatment? It was just a few minutes. Exactly. Seven years of pain, and it took me a couple minutes. And you were a very good responder. Not everyone is going to have that after the first treatment. I like to lay down very honest, you know, expectations and let people know it's not FDA approved for this in this country. But, you know, we've been doing a lot of clinical research, and I love the laser. I've treated thousands of patients, and they've had really, really good results like you. I wanted to circle back because you said something that was I think a lot of women probably feel also whatever sexual dysfunction they might have is 
I was waiting for my period so that I didn't have to, because I didn't want to like feel bad or have that expectation. I've certainly been like, I have my period. I don't have to think about it this week. (laughs) Why do women feel like that? Or why should they have to feel like, you know, obviously there's some societal and like media expectations upon women to be ready to just like be in the throes of passion whenever, but like, we shouldn't have to feel bad if we're just don't want to do it. Yeah, absolutely. And I, and I think for me, it, it, it all compounded just because I never felt like doing it. And as patient as my partner was, it still causes issues within the relationship. It makes me feel bad about myself. And for me personally, in my mind, that was just a week of a guilt-free excuse. Um, whereas outside of that week, it, it was me actively refusing, you know, advances. Whereas again, that week, it just gave me a break and I didn't have to feel guilty. And, and now, thankfully, I'm no longer in that position. And it wasn't that he pressured me before, but, you know, after so many years of feeling that way, um, there is a lot of guilt. And now it's just, if I say I'm not in the mood, it's okay because we know it's not going to be two months like it would be before. And this is very, very typical. It's actually described in the literature. It's avoidance. And whether it's sexual pain or decreased libido, unfortunately, you were struggling with both, avoidance. So avoidance can be if there's something sexual on TV and you're like, oh my God, he's going to get an idea and you change the channel or you purposely go to bed before or after him so that you can just avoid the interaction, the ask, and then the rejection because that puts more strain on the relationship and and women do feel isolated or guilty or broken. These are words that you've used um, because they can't give their spouses that typical experience and men or other female partners, whoever it is, oftentimes will feel rejected, right? Because they don't understand. I had a patient say it best the other day to her husband. She's like, listen, this is how dead I feel right now. It could be Brad Pitt in that bed and I would still not want to do anything. (laughs) This has nothing to do with you and everything to do with me. And I think if, if we were able to communicate that with our partners, we wouldn't have to avoid and I think that's that's huge. And I, I, I see and hear this repeatedly. I think the other thing we need to touch upon is the other thing that you said. So there are women that truly have low libido or HSDD and then women who have sexual pain. Now, that being said, there are a lot of women who have low libido because of their sexual pain. So if we treat the pain, right, our brain doesn't want to drive us to do something that's painful. We don't go, oh, let me go touch that hot pot because it feels so good. It hurts. You're not going to want to do that. But we want to eat sugar because we get euphoria. We want to have an orgasm because we release dopamine, the same neurotransmitter that's released after a really, really good meal, right? After a really good meal, nobody goes, I want to go to McDonald's, Um, not picking out McDonald's, but you know, like you're satiated. And so if we can break that pain cycle and teach the brain that touch is not painful, but can actually go to palatable and then pleasurable, a lot of times we can help that libido increase. Sometimes we need medications for that too, and they are available for women for sure. But everything that you're describing, Emily, from the avoidance to the pain cycle is described and known in sexual health literature and data. Unfortunately, a lot of women who are struggling like you did experience both of these things. Emily, any words of advice, things you want to say from a patient perspective that you would tell a woman who's struggling like you did? 
I think for any patient with any issue you may be having, the important thing is to keep speaking up, even like with my case, even if you don't get a solution the first few times, you can't let it go. You need to keep advocating for yourself. Do some of the research. Watch your local news at night like I did. You never know where you're going to find your sources of information. But I think the important thing to realize you're not alone as much as you may feel like it. You're not crazy as much as you may feel like it. Uh, and somebody is out there that's going to be able to help you. So just keep speaking up, keep doing your research, keep advocating for yourself and just know that it's not normal and help is out there. Emily, you are a beautiful person inside and out and so brave, braver than you will ever know. And you have no idea you are somebody's Channel 12 news story right now. And when they hear this, they're going to be inspired to pick up the phone and get help. I hope so. I really hope so. And thank you. I agree. I mean, it's very brave to share your story so openly and honestly. Thank you so much again for sharing your story. Thank you both so much for having me and for giving me the opportunity to share my story. And Dr. Jubei, thank you again. You changed my life. This episode of Her Voice has been a production of HerMD, a female forward wellness center in Cincinnati, Ohio. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at HerMD Health and sign up for our newsletter at HerMDHealth.com. If you enjoyed this podcast, we hope you'll share it with your friends. They can listen to us on Buzzsprout, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify. If you'd like to share your sexual health story, you can reach out to us at info at HerMDHealth.com.